Good morning, everybody. I want to ask you to grab a Bible, your copy of the Scriptures, or your iPhone, or your iPad. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and as you do, I really wish I knew what time it is. I'm not referring to the time on the clock. I'm not even referring to the date on the calendar. I wish I knew what time it is in history, not in terms of years, but in light of thousands of years. Do you ever wonder why God has placed you in this time instead of a different time? Do you ever wonder why God is having you go through the things that you're going through right now, in this time, as opposed to a different time? I think we all think about that at certain points. What season of history are we actually in? And why has God ordered the times in the way that He has chosen to order them? Ecclesiastes chapter 3 addresses aspects of the times. We might even call it the times of God. And we see these times addressed by King Solomon in a poem. A very famous poem that if you're over the age of 35, you will hear the music in your head as we read it. And if you're under the age of 35, as we polled the office this week, You have no idea who the birds are. (laughs) But let me read it for you. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says this, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep. A time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I have perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. 
That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. When you take a step back and look at the totality of your life, you begin to see, as Solomon saw, that for everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. That is the theme of the poem. That is the thesis of the chapter. And it's hard to see that. It's hard to see that for everything there's a season when, when you're young. Life is coming at you quite quickly. You're trying your best to learn and to position yourself for your future. And it's hard to see that when you're in your middle years. Kids, work, earning, saving, a little bit of recreation mixed in. Time. How do the seasons of life work? Time. (laughs) 28 times the word time is used in this chapter. It starts to get easier for some people. Not everybody, but for some people when you get older. Time is slipping away. You look back and you see the times more clearly. You look ahead and you realize there might not be that much time left. And as the one who has seemingly seen it all, Solomon puts life in perspective for us. And he puts time in perspective for us. And he does so in the poem. He does so in observations about the poem. And then he does so in two particular responses that we have to this reality of God who orders the times. And we see that the poem itself points to the fact that the seasons of life happen beyond our control. You don't get to choose We see it from the very beginning in verse 2. A time to to be born and a time to die. Nobody gets to choose when they're born. Some of us look at history and we think that we might have been better off if we were born in a different era that was more suited to our personality. Maybe the 1700s when nobility meant something. Some of us look at where we are in our station of life right now, and we say, if I was just born 20 years earlier, I would have been able to do things in history that I just missed out on. I could have been part of the greatest generation. (laughs) Others of us look at the times right now and say, if I was only 20 years younger, or maybe even in my 20s and had my whole adult life ahead of me, think of all the things that I could accomplish. We don't get to choose the time that we're born. And we don't get to choose the time when we die. My wife's mother, Brenda Fox, died at the age of 46 in a car accident. Two days ago, a profoundly influential theologian named J.I. Packer died at the age of 93. We don't get to choose when we're born, and we don't get to choose when we die. 
And further, we don't get to choose the seasons of the year that are put upon us to plant and to harvest. That's the verse pairing in verse 2. I mean, we could choose to plant in the winter, but the plants won't grow. (laughs) We could choose to harvest early, but the yield won't be very good. Some years, the growing season is longer than others. Some years, there's drought. God chooses the times. We don't get to choose. And verse 3 points to a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. And even these times are beyond our choosing. Wars are often cast upon us. They're not necessarily of our choosing, hence a time to kill. And when wars begin, it is so often the case that people cannot conceive of when they'll actually end. The Iraq conflict was supposed to be quick. And years and years and years later, it remained. We don't get to choose. God is even involved in this. And so it's important to pause here and recognize that the poem and the descriptions of all the times and the seasons are just that. They're descriptions. They're not prescriptions. You know, the Bible often gives us commands or prescriptions or the things that we should do. And... One of the ways that this passage is so often misinterpreted is to say that the poem is a series of prescriptions, that you are supposed to recognize the time and then do something accordingly. You're supposed to recognize the time to plant and then plant. You're supposed to recognize the time to kill and then kill. And recognize the time to heal and then heal. But the whole point of the verses of this poem are that we don't get to choose the times. You don't get to choose when you're born. You don't get to choose the planting and harvesting season. And you often do not get to choose when war is upon you. This is simply describing life and the realities under heaven. Life is ordered by God. And so you see in verse 4, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And we're starting to feel the totality of emotion because weeping finds its extreme expression in mourning. And laughing finds its ultimate expression in dancing. From one side of the spectrum to another of emotion all of the way from weeping and mourning into laughing and dancing. The weeping that happens at the funeral and the intense mourning that follows and the laughter that happens at the wedding and the dancing in the day of delight. Solomon is covering now the entirety of our human experience, our actions, the events, and even our emotions. And it seems that we start to see some repetition of the themes. Life and death, war and peace, grieving and healing. And so verse 5 says that there's a 
time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. Again, this is an illustration of war. Because in the ancient times, when warriors were upon the field or the encampment around a town or a village or a city, they would cast stones into the field where crops were grown so that the crop would yield no harvest. It would cut off their food supply. But during the time of peace, the stones were gathered again and removed and prosperity would reign. Verse 7, likewise, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silent and a time to speak. When you're in the throes of grief in the ancient world, the common action was to tear your garments. It was a physical sign of your anguish. This was the action of grief. And the action of healing was to sew those garments back together again. And the posture of grief was so often solitude and silence. And the posture of healing was you engage in speech with other people again. You know how this feels. You know this to be true. Sometimes when you're grieving, you just don't want to talk to people. (laughs) But the sign that you are ready to re-engage happens when you emerge forth and begin conversing again. Solomon says that there's a time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. Verse 6. There are seasons in life where the acquiring of physical goods, it's just part of life. (laughs) I have a lot more stuff than I want. (laughs) I have a lot more stuff than I had 10 years ago because I have three children. And there are times, however, when you lose some of that stuff, and that's okay. There's times when you even cast away some of that stuff. There's wisdom in keeping for a while what you've acquired because then you don't need to rebuy it again. But there is times when there's wisdom to sell some of the things that you have. If there's a downturn in the market, it's good to sell some of your things off because you need liquidity. If you're going to move from one place to another and the cost of moving all of those possessions become prohibitive to you, it's good to cast away some of your things. And as you're nearing the end of your life, it is often the case that you begin to clean out the attic so that your children aren't burdened with a bunch of things that they don't want and don't know what to do with. This is one of the times of life. And so the poem concludes. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace, emotion, and action, and life, and death. Hate finds its extreme expression in war, and love finds its action in peace. These are the times of God. These are the seasons of life, the cyclical nature of human experience, Generation after generation living under heaven experiences these realities. And as you think about them and as you hear them, 
I wonder how you would describe the season of life that you're in right now. I'm sure you could attempt to describe the season of life that we're in as a nation right now. But I bet that you would be able, with some thought and some careful words, to describe the season of life that you're in right now personally. Maybe you're a first-time parent or a first-time grandparent. Perhaps you're in the early years of your career where you're trying to establish yourself. That's a season of life. Maybe you're falling in love. Perhaps you're trying to figure out how to serve the Lord with the gifts that He's given you. And it's been an ongoing struggle. Maybe you're in the long and steady years of marriage and family. Maybe you're in your peak earning years. That's a season of life. Perhaps you're in a season where you're serving God in an aggressive fashion. Maybe you would describe the season that you're in as parenting adult children. (laughs) Or perhaps caring for aging parents. Some of you are in the season where you're beginning to think about thinking about retirement and using that time well. And still others are pursuing faithfulness to the end of your days because you see the horizon line before you. These are the seasons of life common to everyone. And verses 9 and 11, 9 through 11, show us that God alone is the one who is sovereign over these times. Look with me again. He says, What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity into man's heart so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. The season of life that you are in has elements of the beauty of God in it. (laughs) He's made everything beautiful in its time. Even if it's difficult, perhaps if it's easy, there are beautiful aspects to the seasons that God has placed you in. And he uses a very interesting phrase that God has put eternity in our hearts, and yet we can't always decipher the times. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? God has placed eternity in your heart. And this is also true of all of humanity. Randy Alcorn says in his book called Heaven, he says the sense that we will live forever somewhere has shaped every civilization in human history. Australian Aborigines pictured heaven as a distant island beyond the western horizon. The early Finns thought it was a distant island in the faraway east. Mexicans, Peruvians, and Polynesians believed that they went to the sun or to the moon after death. Native Americans believe that in the afterlife their spirits would hunt the spirits of buffalo. The Gilgamesh epic, which was a Babylonian legend, refers to the resting place of heroes and hints at the tree of life. In the pyramids in Egypt, embalmed bodies had maps placed beside them 
as guides to the future world. The Romans believed that the righteous would picnic in the Elysian fields with their horses grazing nearby. And Seneca, the Roman philosopher, said, The day thou fearest as the last is but the birthday of eternity. Although all of these depictions of the afterlife are different from each other, there's a unifying reality. There's a unifying testimony in the human heart that throughout history is a belief in life after death. That anthropological evidence suggests that every culture has God-given innate sense of the eternal. That this world is not all that there is. And so to say that God has placed eternity in our hearts, the hearts of every single person, means that we intuitively recognize the past. We intuitively or innately recognize that there is a future. And yet... Solomon says that even though we have this internal wiring for eternity, we still can't necessarily decipher the times in which we live or the seasons of life as they come upon us or perhaps even the season that you're in right now. And so what do you do with that frustration? Why does God tell us this? Why has God even ordered the seasons and the times in the first place? Well, Solomon tells us. And he tells us in verses 12 through 15, and it's marked by a two part conclusion, and you'll see the phrase twice I perceived and I perceived. <laughs> This is what he says in verse 12. I perceived that there is nothing better to do for them as long for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. And secondly, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor nothing, anything taken from it. God has done it so that people may fear before him. What do we do with the fact that God has ordered the seasons? We be joyful, we do good, and we enjoy what God has given us today. You don't know what season of life you're in? That's okay. Do the next right thing. Take joy in the things that God has given. Take pleasure in the work that he's given you to do. Enjoy the food that is placed on your table. Do good in those times. We heard that message in chapter 2, didn't we? Just last week. This is one of the themes of the entire book. We can't always figure it out, so enjoy what God has given us in this time. Chapter 2, verse 24 says, There's nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. Response number two is that because God has ordered the seasons, stand before him in fear. 
Now, the word fear here does not mean to be afraid. To fear God is to revere Him, to stand in awe of Him, to position yourself properly before Him. Awe and wonder, I think, is something that we grow with in age. If I were telling my children the same story, take note of their different reactions. If I took Alexa, who's eight and a half, and said, Alexa, Princess Jenny got up and she walked through the darkness to the edge of the cave. And when she went outside, there was standing a glowing white unicorn for her to ride. Alexa's eyes would light up with awe and wonder. And if I told the same story to Noel, who just turned seven last week, and I said, Noel, Princess Jenny got up and she walked through the darkness to the edge of the cave. And she went outside. Her eyes would light up with wonder and awe. And if I said to Karsten, who is five, Karsten, Princess Jenny walked through the darkness all the way to the edge of the cave. His eyes would light up and glisten with imagination. You see the difference. Alexa needed the unicorn. Noel needed the exit from the cave, and Karsten simply needed the walk through the darkness. The older you get, the more it takes to fill your mind with wonder and awe. And only God is truly big enough to fill it. God has set the times so that we would stand in awe of Him. God does things that you cannot do. Incredible things. Mysterious things. Majestic things. Cosmic things. God shapes eternity. And so stand in awe of Him. Romans chapter 11 points us to this reality as it says, Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been His counselor? Who's given a gift? To him that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. You see, you can't know why God has you in the season that he has you in today. But you can trust that he knows. This is part of living in faith. You can't know why God has our nation in the season that He has it today. But you can trust 
in his sovereign control over the seasons and the times to accomplish his purposes according to the pleasures of his good will. God has set the times so that you may stand in awe of him. He is in control, and so trust him. Verse 14 says that what God does endures forever. It will never be changed, which means that no matter how hard you try to change the season that you're in, it's still in the hand of God. This doesn't, of course, give us an excuse to not exercise personal responsibility or to do the next right thing or to even pursue good. And yet, God is the one who has set you in the place that he has you. He set you in this year. He set you in this moment. He set you in this season in your marriage or in your family. He set our nation in the season of a pandemic. And so stand in awe of him. And enjoy the things that he's given you to enjoy in the season he has you in. It's interesting when you think about God and setting the times that you and I have the benefit of living in one of the most privileged times in human history on this side of the cross. Because God arranged the coming of his son according to the times as well. In the New Testament, we see that expressed in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. It says, but when the fullness of time had come. It's an interesting way to say it, isn't it? God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Likewise, Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, it says, Christ died for the ungodly. Part of living in awe and fear of God is to humbly live in the mercy that he gives us through his son Jesus. In fact, you can't live ultimately in awe and fear and reverence of God if you don't put your faith in the Son who has come to restore you to him. And you, each and every one of you, can all have and grow in that wonder and awe of God today, living in ongoing faith and faithfulness to his Son, Jesus. Because God has set the times so that we would stand in awe of him. And there will be a time, a God-appointed time, when everyone, whether his children or his enemies, will stand in awe of him. It's described in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus says immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. And then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all of the tribes on the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. The times of God. And so between this time and that time, 
approach God with a healthy fear and reverence. Do not take him casually in your prayer life, in your worship of him, in your enjoyment of the good things that he gives you to enjoy, in the daily happenings of life. Live in awe and wonder of God because he has placed you here in this time for such a time as this. Please pray with me as we ask God to help us in this. Father God, we recognize your sovereignty over the seasons of life. We confess our difficulty in understanding it. And we ask, God, that you would help us to do as Solomon encourages us, to enjoy the things that you've given us, to do good with what you've given us, to eat and drink and take pleasure in the gifts that you've given to us. And God, that you would grow us in a posture of fear and reverence and awe before you. That as much as we are able of our own volition to position ourselves in such a way, and beyond that, Lord, that within our hearts that you would give us disposition of wonder. You are a great and mighty God. You do things that we cannot do. And you are worthy of our praise. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.